and thunder. We're talking Dice Masters. The beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities, and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play. If you're just starting the game or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. Alright, you rollers of dice, welcome back to another action-packed episode of Rollin' Thunder, and we've got another good one in store for you today. Before we get started with all the unbelievable edification we've got in store for you, let's do a little tidying up. Well, I'd like to point people to my card-by-card review of the Justice Campaign Box, the Doom Patrol Team Pack, and the Mystics Team Pack. That is up on our website. You can find it at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash articles. There's no G or any apostrophe in the Roll and Thunder. And uh, yeah, it's just my opinions on every single card that's coming out. I've ranked it in a tier system, and I've, I've given a little blurb of text to explain why I think that. It's just my opinion, so don't get too heated over them. All right, great. Go check it out. Rollandthunder.xyz forward slash articles. The next thing I want to mention is we've been getting a lot of feedback from new players who are eager to learn the game, which is fantastic. Uh, I know the first few episodes have probably sounded like a lot of gobbledygook for you folks, but we haven't forgotten about you. On our website, I've tried to gather as many links as possible to all the getting started videos and articles and glossaries and facts that should get you up and running. We're talking about links to DM Armada's How to Play videos, links to James and Zach's articles and How to Play videos, a link to Double Burst's glossary of Dice Master's terms and acronyms, and the Frequently Asked Questions page, which is super useful. Anyway, if you're new, or if you know someone who wants to learn, hopefully this page will be a good starting point for the recently initiated. Any idea where we might find this page? Glad you asked. RollinThunder.xyz forward slash new hyphen players. Okay, one last thing before we get to our incredible guest. Let's talk the worldwide one big weekend event, which is now around the corner. Again, in a nutshell, with the lack of spring WKOs this season, the collective Dice Masters community has decided to host and prize our own semi-competitive event on or around March 9th of this coming month. Literally, local stores from around the globe have signed up to let our community roll dice in one giant free-for-all. We're still working on a bunch of stores, but the following have already committed. Manchester, UK, Kosciuszko, Slovakia, Bratislava, Slovakia, West Virginia, Calgary, Dallas, Toronto slash Mississauga, Los Angeles, Australia, Minneapolis, Amsterdam, Scotland, Orlando, Wisconsin, and New Jersey. So, if you're interested in joining the party, and we'd love to have you contact us soon because we're running out of time. And where can they find us again, Lucan? You can email us at arge at rollandthunder.xyz or lucan at rollandthunder.xyz. Or you can find info on the main page for One Big Weekend on our site at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash obw for One Big Weekend. That's rollandthunder.xyz forward slash obw. All right, Lucan. It's time, isn't it? I'm excited for this. It's time to introduce him, Noel. You betcha. All right. Hailing from Tucson, Arizona, 
by way of Montana, a captain of control, the lord of lockdown, a two-time WKO winning concocter of confusion, a top eight finisher in the 2017 U.S. National Championships, a top 16 finisher in the 2018 U.S. National Championships, and a top four finisher in the 2018 World Championships. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Alex Rodriguez! Oh, that's such a fantastic introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. Welcome to the show, Alex. We're so excited to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, as you know, we were talking to you while we were at Worlds, and ever since we were walking the streets and talking Dice Masters, I knew you'd be a great guest. So we're, we're very, very pleased. But we've got a big episode ahead of us, so I want to get right into it. I should mention that you can find everything that we're going to talk about in the show notes for this episode at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 103. That's for season one, episode three. So right off the bat, how'd you get into Dice Masters? Did it come from another game first, or or, or what's, what's your background with the game? I mean, oddly enough, no. Uh, when I started playing Dice Masters, I was actually playing a lot of D&D at the time, and I had seen the game, but I'd never really looked into it. And then the first D&D set came out, right? Battle for Faerun. Right. And I, I just took the leap. I found a store that was doing weekly tournaments, and... I just went for it, and I haven't regretted it since. So, oh, that's awesome! I'm hoping that people have that same experience with Warhammer. You know that we bring in some folks with the Warhammer set, and maybe with you know the upcoming WWE and all that kind of stuff. So that's great to hear. Yeah, hopefully. So you're a teacher, right? Any thoughts on why so many teachers play Dice Masters? You know what i I guess i I knew this, but i I didn't know that a lot of teachers played until Worlds when we were in Pennsylvania, right? That's when I kind of was being told, uh, talking to people like Shadow Mode, like, "Oh, this many teachers play." I was kind of <laughs> shocked by that. I don't know why, other than to say that you now it's very analytical game so i feel like that someone who is a teacher would gravitate towards that for sure your, your subject is math right yes you have any feeling that being a math teacher gives you a leg up in the game in any way or uh... see i'd like to think that because <laughs> of my understanding of probability right but i mean you know, calculating the percentages in a way that other players might not yes and no but it gets more complex with that we can talk about it later when we're talking about one of my teams because that's something that comes into play when I play like a collector control team. You know, it's just more of the making sure you're setting up your bag correctly so that I'm going to buy this and then I'm going to be able to get it out in the next turn. Got it. In a world where we don't have Rip Hunter anymore, for example, and can't just prep anything we want. So there are three teams particularly that we'd like to discuss with you. And the first one is your 2017 Nats World's team with Long Live the Resistance. Oh, yes. <laughs> we oh, watched yes. you play that, and that was so fun because it really was. I hadn't seen anybody else play the way you were playing with that. It was a knockdown, get light. You know, there's a life gain aspect to it, which was really cool. Can mm-hmm. you describe the team? Uh, maybe you could read off some of the cards that are on the team and describe what your thought process was behind that team. Well, this was right after the Batman set came out, right? So the whole idea of having Sidekick Swarm was where this came from in my mind i can swarm with my sidekicks i can have 10 dice on the field that are all potential to swarm that's how i started as like as soon as i got the dark side card right the super dark side that gives all that sidekick swarm 
And then I was trying to figure out how to make a win con out of that. And of course, the uncommon parademon, yep. which dealt one damage anytime you pulled the die came into play. And from that point, it was just like, okay, how can I maximize this and keep myself alive? Right. And this was my primary concern around this time. I think it was pretty much the meta. There was a little bit of like Ultraman stuff going around there because this was kind of when Beholder was phasing out, but people were going Ultraman Kryptonite. Yep. But there was still definitely the lantern ring out there. So that was my primary concern. How do I get out of this lantern ring? And that's where Long Live the Resistance came into play. The only reason I brought that card, and I was not the only one. I think one of the top eight teams also had that action as part of their team just to kind of help counter lantern ring. I feel like Michael Lee might have had it. Either that or Michaela. I'm not sure it was one of the two. I know it was when they played each other. I know it was in play in that game, and I can't remember which one of them brought it. But It might have been Michael. I don't think it was Michaela. I could be wrong. So you had what? Multiple man, the super rare multiple man on the team, yes. right? Yes, so super rare multiple man giving me swarm and masks. Dark side, parademon. I believe I had a Star Labs for the global to get sidekicks out. Yep. Not on my turn. And then the rest of it was just kind of trying to protect myself. I had rare Electra from Deadpool just to block globals. Against your sidekicks and things, Yeah, right? against my sidekicks and my multiple men. Yeah. I know I brought Mera to help with big hits, her global as well where you can reduce five combat damage to two with a mask. And then the super rare Ronin, just to have damage redirect. This thing team seems so incredible. And when I was watching it played, it was like so incredibly defensive. Because people, I could see like the frustration. I remember watching JT just literally starting to sweat because it was yeah. just, you couldn't punch through. It was just yeah. like, you were just like a sponge, just soaking everything up and then regrowing in life again. And, you know, if you knocked out the sidekick, your multiple man was swarming. And this, when the swarm started to happen, it was just, you're rolling everything. Yes, I was, <laughs> yeah. when that team fired off as it was intended, I was pulling my bag the whole time and doing at least, you know, six, seven, sometimes eight burn damage. Wow. Depending on how much I'd bought. So I also noticed that you have Bane with the taunt global here. Yes. So this is, I watched one of your games against JT but I don't mm-hmm. really remember what happened. But it seems to me a bit of an odd choice. I know it worked out and it's an interesting choice. But for me personally, on that event, I was running like Medusa, the one that can block two and has deadly. Mm-hmm. And whenever someone brought Bane and Darkside, I would always taunt off their Darkside and a sidekick into my Medusa, KO them both. Mm-hmm. What was your what was your thought like, process? What was your thought process? Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess part of that was, you know, I got lucky and didn't, as I recall, I didn't run into any Medusas. It's probably a really good thing, but I was more worried about things that might lock me down. Something like a dwarf wizard or something like that. If, if I recall correctly, that was my issue. Getting rid of that, maybe getting rid of an iron fist that could do damage reduction. Things like that were my thought process. And ultimately, okay, they might force my dark side to swing through. And if that happens, I mean, that's at least four damage I'm pinging or I'm getting to reroll in the next turn. To me, it was a calculated risk but one that I was willing to take. Well, the thing is you were ramping so hard that yeah. you're right, Dark Side's coming around probably because you were buying both. What was your buy order? Do you remember on this team? For the most part, it was definitely multiple men first. And I think I always played around with how many to get before I was trying to make a move for Dark Side. Got it. But that was probably the next buy. Because the thing with it, multiple men, it's like if he doesn't roll it, you still got, you've got enough masks to go crazy with long live the resistance, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you had Ronin, Super Air Ronin on this team too, right? Yes. There's so many ways he's good. But I'm assuming he also was helpful. Every time I've really tried to get Parademon to work, the thing that was always tough about him is his little little butt. Um, yeah. <laughs> was Ronan helpful in protecting him? I'm trying to remember if I ever really used him for that purpose. 
Because the, the biggest use I remember getting out of Ronin was actually playing JT and trying to survive a Gorilla Grodd and Guy Gardner's and all this nonsense that he had and just doing fancy Ronin redirects. That's that's <laughs> From a spectator of the sport, it was one of the great battle royals going on between the two of you. It was just melee, you know, without getting into the great details. If you could take us over, you know, just the overall arc as you remember it, the flow of the game. I can't remember exactly what JT was running then. But I think it was something pretty aggro. He was running, I think, with Stewart's team, right? Yeah. I'm, I mean, he had Dwarf Wizard, Guy Gardner, Miriam. He had Gr- Gorilla Grodd. Right. It's a good matchup because he had the ultimate in-your-face aggro against the ultimate like super defensive I'm taking all comers team you know yeah and he had he had the ring also obviously but it was a fist ring team if I remember correctly but yeah. the the biggest thing that I remember sitting down and seeing that team was like uh oh <laughs> I'm in trouble <laughs> like it was it was it was the first time I had run into Guy Gardner all day and I knew he, that he was out there in a lot of teams so. Yeah. It, my thought process was, well, I think I think I can handle Guy Gardner. I think I can work around that. But everything else just, oh, you know what? And you know, I just remembered he also had Super Rare Dark Side. Yep. So yep. he had that ramp piece as well. So my thought process was, well, I don't know if I can outramp him. And if he gets all his stuff going, it's going to go faster than me. And it's going to hurt more than I can. He can absorb, yeah. Yeah. And I knew that I had to have some kind of luck come into play to be able to get to him. Yeah. And the general flow of that match for me was the first game that did not happen. He, he got me pretty good on that first game. It took some time, but he eventually got his setup and I couldn't get there with mine. Right. You were holding him off, but he was slowly crawling you down, if I remember yeah. correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second game was more of a back and forth for both of us. I remember fighting things off and doing a lot of purchasing of long loop resistance to get yeah. myself back in the game. That was so cool because you were going down and then you go right back up and then you go yeah. over and then you go down. And the right, it, was, it was fascinating to watch. Yeah, that was the other thing that I loved about that team and having so much ramp because that was not the only game I was able to do that. There were a couple games that I did just that. I was down and then right back up and I probably took, I don't know, maybe... 30 maybe, maybe more. more damage in the game yeah, without more. without losing so with all that gorilla rod coming at you and you were just like just soaking absorbing healing up you were like wolverine you know mm-hmm. <laughs> can you exactly can you read the long res- live the resistance card for us just uh, because it's a card that doesn't get played all that much and it's actually a pretty good die you know i mean it's an expensive card right it's yeah. five cost um, but if you can get to it if you can gift to it yeah it's it's and it's pretty simple gain four life that's what the card says it says gain four life and then resistance if character die you control was KO'd this turn gain five life instead and it has yes. a global uh pay a mask prevent all damage to you from one opposing guy's when attacks ability so obviously with ring against ring actually that's super super strong because you can just negate one for each mask one attacking character's damage mm-hmm. so. so when you sat across from the ring ring teams they must have really kind of groaned when they saw that card <laughs> yes two in particular come to mind actually i played kt data kevin tech right one of the guys that used to do the double verse podcast yep. and I had met him previously, but this is kind of the first time we had the chance to sit down and play each other. And he was just a straight up mask ring team. And yeah, he definitely, it was immediate groan, <laughs> immediate groan. I think that was the first round of after we went to cut that I played him. So that's cool. It was a fun game, but it's just because of the way my team was set up. It was just, I had the hundred percent counter for anything that he would want to do. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about the game is that we, we had Ben said Scott on the, on the program a couple of weeks ago and he had built an anti-mask ring team 
And his variant looked so different from yours. I mean, it was also effective, but I love how different players can come at it and just have such a different set of solutions. Uh, yours is unique. I haven't seen anybody else really running. I mean, certainly people are using the dark side and Parademon before, but all the other pieces on there are really designed to shut down the ring and keep you alive. Yeah. It's a cool way of looking at things. It's Yeah. Uh, and like I said, that was the point. The 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 setback of that team is that you know it, it's really only one wincon, right. <laughs> the way that that I that I did it. Right. Well, I remember you were using that Mara Global wonderfully against JT's team too. So mm-hmm. he was just like, okay, so he'd try to hit you with the ring damage, and you'd shut him down with long live resistance, and then he'd try to hit you with some Gorilla Grodd, and you'd shut him mm-hmm. down with Mara, and and then you'd gain life back again. Or Guy Gardner, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so mm-hmm. it was it was really fun to watch. It's sort of a puncher counter puncher battle going. Oh yeah and i i got i mean the way that our second game ended when i was playing jt was obviously unfortunate for me we we ran out of time and went to turns and right. i couldn't get i couldn't get there i yeah. didn't have enough time to get the victory but i think i mean i feel like if i had had that time i think i would have been able to get that second match and the third one would have been very interesting but interesting yeah let's yeah. i'm gonna put a pin on that because we'll come back to that idea later because okay. I because um i want to talk turns with you as, okay. as an overall thought later um but yeah remind me when we get there because okay. uh, we had a, you had a crowd around you watching this game it was you could feel the electricity in the air you know yeah i remember just a little bit in the moment but i was more focused on like oh my gosh how can i get out of this how can i get out of this that <laughs> i didn't yeah. really realize it as it was as much as it was at the time yeah you were fighting for your life it was awesome mm-hmm. both of you, you both of you were super locked in yeah all right well i want to back up here looking why don't you you had a question right yeah well the next team that we want to talk about is uh your san diego wko team with beholder i believe it was yes can you run down that list i mean because what i love about you had this one team that's super defensive and then you've got this team which is really almost the polar opposite oh yes and it's awesome to see somebody playing different styles and you know can you tell me tell me what's on that team and, and uh, the basics of that team were the beholder from battle for Faerun, the one where when he attacks you can use each basic action ability once <laughs> so mean yeah uh, i know that i had constantine on that team the rare the super rare constantine yep mm-hmm. just kind of as a slow but then the big part of that team was the basic actions that I use. Obviously, my favorite, Imprisoned. I love that basic action. I always will. <laughs> and then the front line, which yep. is, you know, unblocked attacking dice, get plus three attack until end of turn. Yep. So that was that was the goal of that team. Get out a beholder and two other things. Swing, capture your field, and get through for lethal all in one hit. It was probably the most aggro team I think I've ever played. What turn were you would usually landing that killer blow? It, it kind of depended on the rolls a little bit, mm-hmm. but it was a pretty consistent three or four. Yeah. And yeah. so you had what professor x i'm assuming trainer to, to ramp right yes i had professor x on there i'm pretty i believe i had rip hunter's chalkboard to be able to prep <laughs> get them the, over there the, fast. the interesting thing for me about this that i see is yes it's an aggressive team but i mean it's also you've got elf thief on there you've got constantine you've got imprisoned these are commonly looked at as control cards which is why beholder is so good because yeah. they turn those into uh, aggro pieces exactly in a broader scope that's also why teams like ring 
are really good as well because they're able to turn all your control pieces into win cons at yes. moment's notice. Yeah. Which we'll probably also talk about with my next team, I'm guessing. Because yeah. that's well, kind of the same idea there. <laughs> well, this is a team that Lucan would love because look at the globals on this team. Yeah, oh, the clay-faced yeah. mass global, the Merlin Bolt global, <laughs> my team, Blue Eyes White Dragon <laughs> global. It was all globals. So I mean, mine global, you had Rip Hunter's chalkboard, you had Professor, Professor X. X. And let's not forget the Beholder global that no one ever uses, but there I was. I don't even remember what it does. <laughs> I think the old rare bizarro would love to see this team but i don't think he'd get out in time to do it any damage <laughs> well maybe i mean you know, do you remember your buy order and all of this thing too i mean what was your strategy to get him out as fast and as mean as possible i mean constantine was first i would get that because i needed usually i needed to live a turn right i mean that's kind of how it went because this was now in the time of half elf bard right mm-hmm. and i would just my whole mindset with this was, well, now that's the meta. I just want to crush that team. Right. So <laughs> right. that was that's where this one came from. But I needed the Constantine to be able to save myself a turn from that. So that was always my first buy. And then from there, the plan is get Beholder as my next buy. Wow. Okay. So just ramp like crazy and get Beholder. Ramp like crazy, Professor X, get everything that I need. If I can get some sidekicks out so I can flip them on my second turn to make that cheaper, better. And you only need that Beholder probably. Beholder and a couple of things to swing through. Constantine suddenly becomes, you know, a five attack or a six attack if he's unblocked. Yeah. I think my hope was usually Beholder, Constantine, and a sidekick. And I think that usually got me there. Yeah. That front line, it's funny. A lot of people didn't realize at first how good that was. And we kind of stumbled on it at our local store. Uh, Jason Gardner and I were playing just mm-hmm. a you know friendly thing. And we both thought, oh, let's try this one. And the two of us just started hammering each other with him. We were like, wow, this, this card is sick. You know? Yeah. And I, and I never heard anybody else talking about it outside, but obviously over time people have woken up to the power of that card especially with a paired with imprisoned or any other kind of board clear it's just nasty right yeah i mean and that's that's the thing when i look at basic action cards my first thought is always well how much does it cost is it viable for me to get this frontline's a great card at a five cost yeah and typically for my style of play my thought process is well that is too much like i don't know if i can make that work but with Beholder or Ultraman, it's a great value, right? <laughs> exactly. With Beholder, with Ultraman, no problems. <laughs> Frontline all day. When we first stumbled on it, we were using that uh, Casey Jones that makes all the sidekicks block. Mm-hmm. That was where the first time we were like, wow, that does a lot of damage. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was what we would use, uh, that one Justice from Civil War, the common one that gets the two sidekicks, gives him plus 2A, and then use that with Casey Jones and then slam through with Frontline. It was, I mean, interesting, especially using like cards that aren't particularly meta. They're strong, but they're not mm-hmm. super strong. Like it was scary how quickly it could move. Sure. I mean, you don't have to have a great card if it's got a big attack number and you can get that front line going. Yeah. 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 And that, that justice, no one ever talked about it, but it's a mean card because he gets so much value. If you can put up, put him on a sidekick team and no one's really used him very much, but boy, he gets big fast. He gets yeah. like six attack and two of his faces for, for two, two cost. cost. <laughs> if you have two extra sidekicks out, which if you have a small beat stick character, you probably want characters anyways. Yeah. A little, little uh, hidden gem there. But yeah, the third team that we want to talk about is your 2018 Worlds team. Yes. Yeah, so we're we're shifting back to control here, right? I'd never played a real super, like, all-in control team until I started working on that. I think as I was coming up with that team and playing with that team and getting more time with that team, I think I've come to realize it's probably the team that my play style fits best. Well, one thing that I want to talk about, like, 
I've played a bunch of villain control teams Mm -hmm. over the last, I don't know, six or seven months. And when we played, the thing that shocked me about yours was how fast it came out and set up, Mm -hmm. you know, which seems to be like always the problem with villain control. If you miss an early roll and you fall behind and it's hard to keep pace. Let's go over the cards. And then if you could talk a little bit about how you got that speed and consistency, because that really stuck with me. So the cards on the team, you mind if I just read them down here for I'll you? I'll go for it, yeah. We've got uh, the two-cost Cree captain. for the, He's got the... The two-fists make two, it three cheaper global. Yep. Yep. Uh, then you got good old Norman Osborn, super rare, don't call me Gobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Shriek Sonic Beam, the mean old Scarlet Witch from the X-Men First Class set, uh, mm-hmm. the one that messes with action dice. <laughs> then we had the special, the one that caught me up my pants down was the blob, the uncommon blob. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of times you see the rare on this yes. version of the team, but you've got the uncommon and we'll talk more about that later. Then Madam Mask, the uncommon, uh, the one that stops uh, when fielded abilities. Yes. Good old Tanelir Tavan, the rare collector. Mm-hmm. Heimdall. And the two basic actions were Villainous Pact, which makes a lot of sense for ramp and as an alternate win condition, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And good old cake, create food and water. Yep. All right. So when you were when you built this team, what was there any other cards that aren't on it that were kind of dancing around the fringes that were fighting to get on the team and that didn't make it? And- Most of the cards that I thought about were either different versions of like what I already had. For example, the blob. I kind of wrestled between going from the uncommon and the rare blob. I had also thought about putting Thanos on this team. It's the uncommon Thanos from the Guardian set, which is seven cost, really expensive, and I was worried about being able to get to it. Did you tinker with him for a while? And I just- did, I did. And it, the, the first time I tinkered with him was prior to the Avengers set coming out with the with the team packs. And I didn't really get enough time post that because right. I think that Cree Captain global would have helped me to get there yeah because if you can get him out there he's the one that you do what four damage for any die that goes to the youth pile that you've yeah you get to name a character and then that character cannot be fielded and anytime that character's die goes to the use pile, yes, they take four damage. Yeah, I hear the clock ticking loudly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was the card that every single we did a lot of Guardians draft because that was a fun set to draft because yes. like a ton of win cons. And every single draft, I picked up that card. Somehow, it found its way into my hand. I almost always opened it out of my packs nice somehow every game i would buy it i wouldn't always get to field it because it would be on like the last turn i'd just be like well i'm about to die and i've got seven so here's thanos (laughs) or uh you're about to die and i've got seven so here's thanos right more ideally but yeah i love that card it's funny yeah i I remember him getting that dugan madam web combo in draft once and just pounding all of us into the ground we were all all looking for our dentures in the the gutter Yeah, I actually, I mean, I had a lot of success. I did a lot of Guardians drafts also. I usually Mm -hmm. always got that card, but I had a lot of success with that card. And that's why I wanted to put it on this team so badly. I just didn't think I could get there. Right. If I could have somehow had that and the Kree and Heimdall, I think I could have made it work. Yeah. But I would have had to give it up something else that I did not want to give up. The rest of the pieces were too essential to me. Right. The uncommon Thor I also wanted to bring. The male Thor. Yeah. Speaking of like another long live the resistance type of card, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's always been another draft winner for me. I love that card so much. But at seven cost, it it had the same issues. It's too expensive, too hard to get out. Mm -hmm. And that played even less into my wing con as it right. was because he was not being a villain. villain so sure 
really quickly, I want to talk about your choice in Cree Captain. I mean, just looking at it, I'd assume the big draw to this Cree Captain over the one that gets plus one, plus one for every villain die mm-hmm. is that it's a two cost. Yep. So in a pinch, you can pick one up and deal damage with Nobby. But also as a secondary win con with Villainous Pact, I see the three cost that gets plus one, plus one for every villain die, including himself. Like mm-hmm. easily that guy is getting up to 10, 10, more than that even sometimes. So yeah. uh, what was your thinking on the two cost over the three cost in this situation? I mean, I had considered that as well, but but I, I guess I came to the decision well, that if if I was in a situation where I was buying Villainous Pact to get through for lethal... I probably would have enough villains as it is. I don't think I would have needed that extra burst. And that was that was always kind of my mindset and kind of how it always seemed to turn out when I found myself practicing and, and buying Villainous Pact. So it really came down to what you said, Luke, and the, the fact that it's two cost. If I need to buy something in a pinch, I get, get that. I have a villain. I have fists to use that global later. I have fists to get uh, Norman out with Collector. It was basically giving me more value that way, I think. So I always thought of it more as a vehicle to get where I was trying to go as opposed to an alternate win con. Yeah, he fit in really well on your purchase curve. And your win con is really strong and clear here. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Collector Nobby is a good win con, you know? Yes. <laughs> and you're probably going to be doing enough damage with that that even if it gets shut down, the villainous pack can finish you off mm-hmm. and and the global is really helpful here right how often did you use that global to get your blobs and your collectors and your madam webs and things all the time right and the two cost die gives you the energy to do the global right with that global i can theoretically buy any of my cards if i'm going first on my first turn i mean i even had some terms where i could buy collector turn one going second wow that's that's so so as as a fellow kree captain enthusiast (laughs) um so how how are you able to consistently if you let's say you're going for madam mask that requires a precise two fists in one mask, no variation. Like, how are you able to find yourself rolling that consistently? I don't want to say that <laughs> I necessarily did, but I was. And, and really, I mean, it's just, it's a probability thing. More often than not, I didn't get myself in a situation where it's like, I'm only rolling three dice and I need to buy that right now. If I did, I usually thought, well, okay, I'm in trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk the churn and ramp globals you brought on the team here. Yes. Because you got three, and I f- and you used them extremely well, I thought, mm-hmm. at least in our games. And I'm sure you, was, you, you were successful throughout the tournament, so I'm sure you did it all day. But you had Heimdall, you had Villainous Pack, and you had Cake. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how you were, your buy order on this team, and how you were getting things going. And I mean, with a team like this, it seems like you've got to really pay attention oh, yes. to what's on the other side of the table would probably dictate your buy order. Is that right? And and what is your thought process? When you sit down, I'm sorry, I'm asking a ton of questions. All yeah, I know. Start, but let's start <laughs> all kind of blend sit, together. <laughs> when you start, when you sit, start at the beginning, when you sit down on the table on a team like this, you got to look across and see what's going on. What did you have like an organized thought process in, in terms of what you were looking for and what you were going to do based on what you saw across the table? Oh gosh. Organized chaos is probably a more <laughs> accurate way to explain that. Right. I mean, you're right. There's the, the, the way I, envision my team there's there's a multiple ways that i can go even with just my first buy right so yeah my first thought is always is this something i've seen before am i looking at a yanti team Mm -hmm. some other weird attune thing typically my next thought is okay what do i have to shut down here right what what needs to get shrieked right and then the third thought is how important is it that they hit their action dice right i mean all the practice that i did was keeping in mind a tune specifically auntie and just trying to deal with that 
So, 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 so against that kind of team, what would be your buy order generally? Say you saw like Junior's team, which which coming into this was sort of the touchstone for for a sure. So, Junior's team is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with this because this is kind of how I remember it. It wasn't necessarily like I'm winning in four turns. It's like mm-hmm. I'm going to take a little bit so I can get to the point where I'm cubing and buying all this stuff. Yep. Yes. Okay. So but there's like, also like a stalling element to it because you could. He could deal enough damage to ping out your stuff while he was getting set up. So he was like gaining small tempos in between to make it work. Yeah, he was really good at pinging things out, building. You know, he he's a master of tempo. And maybe we'll talk tempo a little bit later. Sure. Because you were you were very successful at tempo with this team as well. Mm-hmm. But you have to be at a villain's team, right? My other question was, didn't he only have two attuned characters on that team? Uh, he had Zendala, he had Pseudo Dragon, he had Yanti. That is all. Yep. Like, okay. All yeah. right. So see, a team like that, my first thought is I need to obviously get Shriek. I need to shut down that Yanti. That's pretty much always my first thought anytime I see that Super Air Yanti. The next thing that I'd be doing is probably going for a Scarlet Witch Mm -hmm. and another Shriek. That would probably be my next buy because I want to harass all his his action (laughs) stuff and I want to keep a Shriek out. Yeah, and then he can't even attune her out because he's got to tune two of them out, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk Shriek really quickly. If you're sitting down across from a team with an expensive win condition, like let's say six, Mm -hmm. and they also have Shriek, if they buy their Shriek and you buy your Shriek, are you going to Shriek their Shriek or are you going to Shriek their win con? I think I would Shriek their Shriek. Because if they've got an expensive win con, odds are they're not going to be buying a bunch of those. I would generally assume, and maybe this is a mistake on my part, they're probably only going to be able to get to one of them. Right. And if that's the case, I've got this blob that can take care of that. Right, yeah, we're going to get to that. I love it. Okay, so the other the other team that was floating around besides Yanti, at least that was on our radar that we were thinking mm-hmm. about in terms of doing bucket loads of damage pretty darn quickly, mm-hmm. uh, was a team up with all of these new multiple affiliations with uh, all the stuff that had come out in warhammer oh yeah okay so in that case i was thinking you you could probably go for an early scarlet witch which could really put the hurt on on team up i would yeah absolutely i mean unless they're i don't know if it's just me but when i play against a scarlet witch with an action team i just have terrible luck yeah like one of my friends alfonso who was also at nationals brought a yanti team but his was more 100 percent just aggro in your face i'm not even going to try and waste time i want to win in three turns yep but he brought the acerac with the global that allows you to re-roll an action die yep that gets around her yeah and i guess what i was trying to say is i don't feel confident in being able to do a team like that unless i have acerac also yeah <laughs> yeah it's almost a must-have you know it's which is acerac's really the modern version of parallax you know it, it is down. but i i don't recall seeing a lot of people running it no because well, it which just, shocked me right now especially i guess it i always feel like this but slots are so important and like Acerac is one of those cards like we were talking earlier like you need to have these control pieces that can turn into win cons right yes uh, Acerac will never be anything but that one little piece that helps you in that one scenario which is a pretty common scenario but I think that's why we don't see it that much okay and he only gives you one shot you know that's true so he's it's not, it's not as fail-safe as Parallax, for sure. No, no, it definitely isn't. But, I mean, this is where the math teacher in me comes into play. It's one more shot than you had before. For sure. Which, <laughs> when you're losing, is great, right? Well, it, it turns <laughs> I, mean, your I ended up losing in the first cut round at Nationals this year to Alfonso. And, I mean, I, 
Acerac is why I lost. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Yeah, okay. Acerac is what turned the game around for him. He had one good Acerac roll that allowed him to cascade, and then it was oh. just over from there. Right, right. So, ah, Acerac. <laughs> yeah, you don't need him. You. You get lucky whenever Scarlet Witch is on the table. You, yeah, yeah. You just roll right through her as if she doesn't exist. Well, sometimes like, yeah, a little do. bit. I remember a little yeah. bit of that. Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's true. It's true. The Lord was with me in my dice rolls on that day. But um, th- th- that would be your buy order. And, and I'm assuming Madam Mask was on there as if you saw a counter collector just to protect you. Yeah, it was it was for the mirror match. Yes. But also, I mean, I there were times when I was able to, I, w- I was shocked this happened as much as it did. There were times I was able to get a shriek out and then a person goes for another shriek, but I'm able to get my madam out before their shriek. Right. And now they're just feeding my wincon without being able to blink anything. I was shocked I was able to get that off a couple times. Wow. So Mimic Ramp was around a lot at Worlds. <laughs> was, was Madam Mask helpful against that at all? Or I didn't run into it. Interesting. <laughs> uh, amazingly yeah. enough. I did not run into it. Any dragon teams at all? Did you run into dragon teams at, at World? Did did Ben Scott have a drag gold dragon on his team? Dragon. Michaela had a dragon. So I played Ben Scott early in Swiss, and he was my loss. His his team was very very interesting, and and it took me too long to figure out what I needed to do mm-hmm. <laughs> to make that work. And I you know I got some bad rolls and. You know, it it just it is what it was. So I lost to him early. In hindsight, having played him once now, what do you think? Maybe with the Scarlet Witch might help against the Ring of Winter. What what was your buy order, and how what would you think you do against it if you had another crack at it? Oh gosh, <sighs> part Shriek of me wants mimic. to say I still don't know, but <laughs> maybe Shriek is mimic and get Scarlet Witch out. That might really throw a couple of roadblocks up. Maybe. Yeah. That's what I was doing, and that was one of the few games that I played where I was buying multiple blobs. And part right. of it was just that's the energy that I had, right. and part of it was I needed to grab some stuff. So well, that could be really nasty because he's only got two dragons. You can only bring two. So exactly, that's one of the reasons that I don't usually worry too much about dragon teams. I just have to play right, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But he had that. He had the dreadnought that was that was harassing me with my low health stuff. So well, so people remembered the the uncommon blob is the one that when fielded captures target opposing character die until blob yes. leaves the field zone. Yes, and with his big behind, it's hard to get him off the field. <laughs> it is very hard to get him off the field. All right, I hundred percent agree. So using these globals to get these guys out. So you've got Cree Captain, which is a double fist, reduce the cost basically mm-hmm. from three to two. Yeah. Uh, you got Heimdall, Villainous Pack, and Cake. Tell me how you were just organizing in terms of getting your guys out quickly and, and using those globals to help you move things along. Well, I mean, ideally, I'm going to have a first turn where I can buy some character, Shriek, Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. sometimes Madam Mask, whatever it is. And then second turn, I'm able to buy another character and then use one of my globals to get things in my bag. So I'm pulling it next turn. And your choice between Heimdall and Villainous Pact, what was your thought process between? If you had a map, would you rather Villainous at the end of turn two or would you rather Heimdall? What, what would be your choice there? Typically, I'd rather have Villainous. And this is kind of the other thing, because I think it was at Nationals is when I'd put Heimdall on there, because that was really more to help to have the energy to get like collector and keep things going mm-hmm. and just to ramp a bit. This was kind of an oversight on my part, but by the time we got to Worlds mm-hmm. and I had the Kree Captain, I really don't think I needed the Heimdall anymore. Right. <laughs> and, and in hindsight, I wish I hadn't have brought it on my team. Hmm. 
I was looking at it, I was thinking the villainous cake choice is an interesting one because mm-hmm. using Heimdall, you know, you really want to be leaving things in your use pile. Yeah. And between those two globals, you know, that you could get two dice out of your bag, really, and yeah. one could prep it. It may be a way for you to reset your bag so that you could still use Heimdall. Were you were you able to do that at all? Yeah. No, I was. Uh, I was. There were definitely times when I could make that work. Mm-hmm. Not as much as I would liked, and probably more so for other people that I played. I think other people were able to kind of make that work for them more than than I was for me. Interesting. Mostly because I felt like I did a pretty good job, at least at Worlds, of keeping things flowing, keeping the bag pretty thin. Right, so. yeah, for sure. And generally in a game like this, how many turns before you usually went for your collector and started really hammering home on the win condition? That kind of varies. Because like I said, I'm it, depending on what I'm playing, I'm getting a Shriek and a Scarlet Witch out sometimes two shrieks Mm -hmm. and at that point i just kind of have to see where everything's at do i have to worry about something of mine getting shut down do they have a shriek coming that's the point at which i analyze well can i go for it now or not right and if i can i'm going right there so that's what let's say that's my fourth turn i will think about going for collector and how often were you using the cake global uh constantly (laughs) more than more than villainous you would think or probably Probably close to as much as Villainous. Um, I mean, it was more of a turn for me, right? I mean, Villainous was right. there to have a fifth die to roll. Right. The cake global's there for me to get what I want not in my bag out of it. Right. So I can get what I want the next turn. That, that's more it was there for. So I mean, the other big thing about cake that I always see players forgetting about, and when I... You, you can cake on your opponent's turn. Right. When yeah. I cake on my opponent's turn, my opponent is like, wait, what are you doing? That's only on your mm-hmm. turn. I'm like, read the card. It's Exactly. And that happened... I heard, I heard those exact same things in at least three games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people aren't used to using the, those, those kind of uh, draw. They just draw yeah, goals. they forget. There's yeah, they're used to it being only on your turn. Yeah, like everything else is. So you ever find yourself buying Nobby straight up without going collector first, or sometimes would... yes. Uh-huh. I, if I'm in a situation where it's like I don't have enough for collector, but I need to buy something or else I'm just wasting this energy. Yeah, I would go for Normans. And on occasion, that would be something where it's maybe just a couple fists for turning later. Or maybe it's, oh, I get one out pretty early and start doing the ticking at that point. Got it. Because if I get him out, he's got so little health. I'm going to swing. <laughs> Every time. And you're either going to take it or you're going to feed my engine. <laughs> So you lost to Ben coming out of the gate, and then you kind of rallied and, and, and ran the table, it sounds like. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your other matches. Anything that stood out? Like, How did the flow of those games go? And I definitely had a couple matches that were really close. One of the matches I had was a mirror match, and I got my setup first. Uh-huh. So I was going to say that that uncommon blob beats the rare blob one-on-one. So that could really help you in a situation like that, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it does just because I can use it situationally. Mm-hmm. Why I like it so much is that it gives me utility. I don't have to worry about, okay, getting it out to shut down whatever it is that I need it to shut down. Because more often than not, whatever it is that I need to shut down, they already have it out. Like, <laughs> Right. And I always bring it back to a Yanti team. What am I going to use Rare Blob to shut down? Obviously not Yanti. They're going to have that out fast. Probably not Pseudo Dragon. They're going to have that out fast. Right. Any other Attune character is cheaper than Blob. They're going to have that out before I can get it. So right. I need something that I have more versatility with. And that's why I went with the Uncommon one. So you had the Mirror Match and you were just able to set up first. And that, that you, you credited yeah. the reason for victory on that one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Get the Shriek. Once you get it, unless they have something weird to counter this, 
once you get the Shriek and the Madam Mask out, that's pretty much it yeah. in a mirror match. When I played in Nationals, I actually brought a mirror match counter card. I brought the Batgirl. Is a Batgirl that had... Oh, uh, had Intimidate. Intimidate. Yeah. Only on villains of cost three and lower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, really good. So that was my prayer move for the mirror match that I never had to use at <laughs> Nationals. But the point behind that would be to collector it out yep. and its ability goes off because it's intimidate is not under the scope of wind fielded yep. so i could push out like a madam mask and then try to get stuff done really cool never got to do it but it was there <laughs> and then i was like well i never did it so i'll just get rid of it and hope i can beat the mirror right and the one mirror i fought i did anybody so. anybody else after that that gave you trouble or made you twist your team in a different way i think Oh, I think it was a Tabaxi Rogue team. Oh, right. It was Craig Hubner's team? Yeah, it might have actually been Craig, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the Tabaxi Rogue team got me really, really close. Yeah, that was a good team. I think Craig Richards was the original source of that team, and uh, yeah, really frustrating. That's, <laughs> I would believe that, if that were the case. I would believe that. But no, Craig did a good job with that. He played it really well. He didn't really make any bad plays. I just got lucky at the end of that because i remember being i'm pretty sure i was under five life just trying to hold on as best i could Yeah, because it was a good matchup for him because he had that green devil mask and you've got a team that really needs to have a big field you know Mm -hmm. unless you you, what did you play at lean did you just try to go for collector and try to play it that way against him what was your what was your strategy um no i definitely was trying to keep the devil mask out of play with scarlet witch so there you go okay at some point, I was trying to get around that tabaxi somehow. I don't remember how exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me personally, the most powerful counter to Devil Mask that I found is a Scarlet Witch with the rare blob. Because you put out Scarlet Witch, <laughs> and then you rare blob named Devil Mask. <laughs> and since it's continuous, you can target it and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sounds like you had fun. And you were saying earlier that this was your first real foray into a control team. Yes. I mean, I'd done little bits of it before, obviously, but for me, it all started with the Norman Osborn, but then it turned into, well, I need to be able to live long enough to make this work. And then, yeah, I just went full in on control on there because villains and control go so well together. Yes, they sure do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Peanut butter and jelly, man. (laughs) Absolutely. One of the reasons that I said that I took so well to this, even though I hadn't done it before, is that I usually play very methodically. And this, for me, this has always come from drafts. I I take my time with things. I always have the goal of getting the job done. And sometimes that takes longer than it needs to. And sometimes it goes to turns a lot. And the other side of that is, this is the big joke between me and all the other people that play here. If you look at my WKO record, I have something like 20 or 30 ties. Because <laughs> right. I've had so many games that have that have gone to turns and not had a clear winner. Right. So in, right. A, in many ways, it's it's just, again, I don't feel like I do this intentionally. It's just part of how I play. I like to keep that tempo at my pace where I'm controlling things and slowing things down as I need to, to get where I need to go. Got it. Let's back up a little bit even before all this. How mm-hmm. do you, how do you practice? Like, are, do you have any tips or strategies for improving as a player to, to people who are coming up, especially like you just shifted from an aggro player to a control yeah. player. Do you practice differently for both of those type of things? Do you start thinking tempos like, okay, if I've got this, I've got three turns to get my control piece in the, in the field, or I've got four turns to kill somebody before I'm dead what's how do you practice that and what do you what do you think about that it it, it kind of depends because i my practice and this has always been how i've done it for any you know event that i've been to is twofold i will usually simulate games against myself with the intention of trying to figure out 
if what I want to do can be fast enough to work. Right. And if not, I'm going to play against a team that I'm worried about, and I'm going to play that team exactly as how I would think it would beat me, like right off the bat. Right. So can I beat myself <laughs> doing that? Now, right. that only gets you so far. I'm so glad that I've had you know people here that I've found that play the game. So, And th- that's the other side of it. You have to see people play it in a way that you wouldn't expect. That's always been the thing that I've kind of struggled with. When I see a team that I know, and then they start playing it not how I would expect it, like uh-huh. I've played this team a bunch. It's usually this, this, this. They're doing that. And the other thing, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is always my thought with like Collector, for example. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but when I get Collector, I'm going to get him knowing full well that I'm putting myself in position to roll him on the next turn. And that's almost always what I'm trying to do specifically with that card. Right. With the with the other pieces, like Shriek, for example, honestly, I've said this a couple times, I usually get more than one. Sometimes it's a, I need extra Shrieks to not lose Shriek. And sometimes it's a, there's a very good, there's a possibility <laughs> I don't get Shriek. Right. So I need that next one coming because if right. that doesn't happen, well, my team doesn't, it falls apart, right? <laughs> I don't get that control in place. So. Sure. How many Shrieks did you bring? A three. Three. Yeah, okay. It was usually with the intent of buying two and then having one to collector and switch targets focus for Shriek if I needed to. When you needed to. Cool. Yeah. Any great collector tricks on the day? I always love to hear the collector tricks. Uh, well, how about you share your collector trick that you pulled on me? <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. And it's I mean, that's really a mimic trick. But... It's really a mimic trick, but I play collector uh, a fair amount. So you had me locked good and locked hard and I was able to get mimic out and then I named your collector and then I was able to field one of your shrieks. As yes. if like to open some door i can't remember the exact door but i opened a door that allowed me to punch through finally so yes. it was just the it was just the, the right little pick of the lock i think you thing. blinked my shriek right bought something to clear it out yep and then you switched your mimic to your yanti and then pounded with a bunch of pounding. yes yes yanti. and then that was it yep yeah, yeah, that was the satisfying moment for me. Sorry about I, that. I, be- I believe it. It was super sad for me because I, if I recall it. correctly, I was in a position to take that game if you had not hit that move. Oh, yeah, I was that because you had collector out, you had fists to do what you needed to do. So yeah, yeah. For me, what he always does is he has lethal on the table, like just by attacking. And then he mm-hmm. did all these mimic shenanigans. And he's like, yes, I stole your mimic. I had a stroke of genius. And I'm just oh, like, man. what are you talking about? You could have just attacked. Yes, like. rub salt in that wound. <laughs> style points, baby, style points. No, you get negative style points. You get mega hubris points. How about that? Fair enough. Oh. All right. No, but things like collecting in a shriek of your own to switch your shriek target, that's one of my favorite moves to do. Um, yeah. Sometimes I collect her in a blob on an opponent's turn <sighs> to stop something that they were going to do with like attacking. Like they right. may have like a fix it. No, my fix it's going to swing through. It's got all this damage. And then I collect her a blob and I grab it for that turn. That's probably one of my favorite things to do. That's Recently, awesome. a combo that I've been doing a lot is just collector with the four cost streak because now a oh, lot of teams win in the attack yeah. step right now. So I just, their turn rolls around. I always make sure I have a bolt and one other energy in my reserve pool every turn. Throw that in there every turn you're being stalled, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Talking about other cards that I would have loved to have been able to put on my team. That's one of them. <laughs> did you see anything when you were, when you sat down against your opponents that day, did you see anything across the board that just made your eyes light up? Like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to steal that. Nothing that I can recall specifically. 
but usually I usually think about it as situational. And if a situation comes up where I can do that, I'll do it. Otherwise, I'm collecting my own Normans. It's funny. I was thinking back to our game and some of the really fun chess moves because, you know, Mimic makes other people have to scratch their heads and alter their play in the game. And I was impressed by some of your moves. You were very cautious and wise to the fact that he was going to come out and you avoided fielding Madame Mask because you knew I was going to be able to name her and stop your team. And it was that was a, such a smart play. Um, that was so frustrating when I when I came to the realization, oh, it gets to do it a second time. <laughs> I Right. This would have been perfect, except for that. Because that was, I mean, yeah. obviously that was initial to my plan. I bought it in our first game, right? I got that Madam Mask. I wanted to stop your mimic, but then but you, you, you I made that realization, like you said. Yeah, I had to alter things. <laughs> that first game was probably a loss for me at that point, I, I think. I don't know if you saw my eyes kind of flicker a little bit, because I was thinking, I was hoping you put that thing out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no. No, no, no. Yep, yep. Oh, that's awesome. I don't right. know if I saw it, but I definitely felt it because <laughs> I was certainly thinking it. Like this, this will happen if I put this thing out. That'll be the end. All right, guys, you ready for some justice spoilers? Sure. All right. Yes. Well, we've asked you to pick three new spoilers that you liked and explain why. So have at it. So I actually was just kind of perusing again through the justice cards today. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this set has a lot of indirect control yeah it's not blank this blank that it's like i'm gonna make this thing cost three more hey scarecrow (laughs) back to you alex oh okay sorry not back to you i really like that card too now back to you (laughs) (laughs) all right so the first one i'm actually looking at is poison ivy a new leaf oh yeah when poison ivy is active when an opponent purchases the last die on a card that deal that opponent three damage, mm-hmm. but then her global pay two masks on your turn. You may remove a die on any card from the game. So you may not remove the last die on the card. <laughs> yep. That just seems fantastic. Yep. It's going to be chaos. I love it. That seems like it'll be really chaotic because a lot of times when I'm playing, I mean, first of all, dragons are probably going to be sad, but a lot of times when I'm playing a team that has large purchase things, I'm not bringing many of those dice. Usually two, maybe three. You can't get rid of the last die, though. Sure. Yeah. I, I, hardly, what... I hardly ever find myself buying more than one of any die. Well, but think about it. I think it's weird because is it going to hurt the high cost ones? Maybe. But is it going to hurt? Maybe it kills all those, like, think of swarm teams. Going to really put the hurt on those if you can get rid of those swarm Yeah, guys, but right? the, the other side of that for me is that even if... You know, you take three damage from buying the one die you've got. Yeah. Fine. You only have one die of that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If true. I'm playing like the team I used at Worlds, I'm going to blob that one die. And I hope that's not your win con because right. now it's <laughs> out of the yeah. game. Yeah. Interesting. You're right. So that one in particular made me go, oh, mm-hmm. and she's a villain. Great. <laughs> Anyways, um, the, the Poison Ivy that really stuck out to me was the five costs. That when you feel that you can KO a character, deal damage to your opponent, all their characters equal to their level. Because yes. not only can you trigger some cool when the KO'd abilities like that, but you can KO her and just have that every turn, like a little breath weapon action or something. Yes. Ah, yeah. The, the, all the poison, they love Poison Ivy in this game. You know, uh, the designers love the, the lady characters, and Poison Ivy is one of them. She always has good cards, I think. Yeah, I agree. And that, that, that particular one I also like as well. Yeah. But I like yeah the one you picked though is it's got you know think about with that common beholder from Faroon under siege how mean that's going to be with that 
You know, the one that gets the globals for free without paying a cost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you could yeah. double, you could put that and the Hella Global and just send everybody back to the netherworld. With that. Oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to hit the ban list in many of the store and make people quit. You know, but it is mean, <laughs> super mean. Oh, I got some stuff to work on now. Okay. (laughs) You can't overlook the actual ability on the card and how well it works with the global. That's what I was going to say. It synergizes so well. It it pairs so well with it. So, Mm -hmm. and and you're going to probably get at least three damage out of that thing. Yes. Put her out. So, all right, cool. What's that's number one? Poison Ivy. The second one, though, uh, a parasite, human atomic furnace. Mm -hmm. When fielded, gain target character dies ability text until end of turn. That copy of the die lose its abilities until end of turn yep. as a control person and someone that likes to steal things with collector that just seems like a fantastic card for me to have yeah if you put them in with collector it unlocks something possibly what do you think about well when i read that i was wondering do you think if i took your shriek with that mm-hmm. it wouldn't give you the shriek blanking ability but would it blank the shriek you think because yeah, it only talks no, it, it talks it about the die it, it doesn't talk about the, the card it says when field the name target character that target character loses all of its text and parasite gains all the text. well it says that die yeah. right doesn't it say the die yeah not so it does say die so if there's multiple shrieks and that your opponent has then it's not going to help if there's one shriek then suddenly that shriek is not doing anything for the rest of that turn that's what i was thinking too i was just wondering if you if it resided with the player or you know you know sometimes these these things have that but I think you're right. I think you'd have to have two dice out there. Mm-hmm. In which case, bring more shrieks, right? <laughs> yes. That's a great card. Okay, yeah, that's that, that has lots of hijinks. I like that one, too. I, that, that doesn't surprise me you picked that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this new strike ability that they're putting in, this mm-hmm. new strike keyword. What do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, plus two, plus two, and overcrush if it's mm-hmm. the only character fielded this turn. I I think I like it, and even more so on big characters. Interesting. Well, like Gorilla Grodd. So there's a Gorilla Grodd stronger than you is the, the subtitle for the card. It's got strike, but it also has call out. And I just think that's fantastic. Yeah. He's like, if you block him, he's going to do his thing. And if you let him through, you're letting a lot through, right? <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you going to do? You're probably going to call out a sidekick. So, okay, right. I've got a nine, nine Gorilla Grodd and you can only block it with this sidekick. It's practically unblockable. You might as well yeah. not block. So yeah, exactly. If that's what's called out, that seems like a fantastic card to get there quickly and with it being a six cost like i don't worry so much about six cost cards anymore i think they're easier to get than they used to be well it's a fair thing with a with strike i think what i'm one of the things i liked about it is like he's only going to have overcrush that one turn sure you could maybe wrestle and say okay maybe i should block because if if i do block with the sidekick and i eat eight at least he's not gonna have overcrush the next turn you know (laughs) but you know that's it that's a tough calculation right because you're gonna eight is still a lot and uh, he's still sitting in the field waiting to do something. Yeah. Well, if you switch that call out to something that they don't want to lose. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think I'm looking forward to playing this set. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Any any of the actions, basic actions jump out to you? The stretch one definitely seemed interesting. Yeah. Move any number of dice from your use pile to your bag. And at a two cost, that seems like it could be something that would be helpful and very useful for churn. Yeah. Lucan thought about using that with the cake basic oh yeah that that could be be good that could be really good also like with professor x because you have to part of what i love so much about stretch is also the global because you can just you pay one for the global like that's fair that's standard Mm -hmm. right but you also have to put another die into your use pile which means then you can professor x this turn because you've got something in your use pile you can now probably heimdall if you've got another die in your use pile 
and you get to draw and roll a die. So there's a lot going on here. Yes. And it's, yeah. it's, wow. it's all very, very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. So mm-hmm. you came in at Battle for Faroon. Did you yes. get any, when you came in, did you get any advice that stuck with you? What, what, what is the best advice you ever got? In well, I've got a ridiculous answer to that question, and that's don't leave lethal on the table. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. <laughs> yes. Very That good. was, yeah, a bigger issue than I'd care to admit when I first started playing the game. So <laughs> You'd be so focused on getting your combo to go off that you overlook the fact that you could actually just win by walking through right now. <laughs> yeah. Playing aggro teams helps get that yeah. out of you. Yep. I found yep. out. So the best advice I think that I got aside from that would just be to play different styles of teams. Yeah. You need to see this game work in different ways to figure out one, what works best for you and two, what, what you can make work, I guess right. is the same thing. But, well, it's yeah. so helpful. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, because you have played these various styles of teams mm-hmm. and I, that's got to help you when you're playing control, right? Because you, if you've played aggro, then you know how to shut down an aggro team because yes. you played it, right? So. Yes. That's the other side of it, right? You need to play all these different things so that you know what to expect and what's going to happen, or at least have a good idea. Right. And vice versa. If you play control, you learn how long it takes to set up control, which gives mm-hmm. you a clue when you're playing yeah. aggro, like how much time do I have to really get the beatdown going? And, mm-hmm. and that's part of what I like so much about Justice as well is because it's I think it's going to change control a lot because now Shriek is probably going to get cycled out this spring or this summer or wh- whenever the next cycle comes. Rotated, and, yeah. Yeah, and the new control is like, it's as you said before, it's not so direct. Yes. And you're going to have to be creative about it. There's going to be ways to play around it again, which is what I loved about control so much before Shriek. When mm-hmm. you had to use like Rare Crow and, and Dwarf Wizard and they could be played around and you could take your guys out the field and you had blue eyes and there was a little chess match going on. Now it's just I put out Shriek. What you're going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you on Team Justice League or Team Legion of Doom? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to cards in this game, I'm more Team Legion of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a good matchup, these two. I think because the Legion of Doom has got some real roadblocks for a Justice League team. In, in yeah. Also, there's that one, or no, all three of those Black Adams. All <laughs> of them have great synergy with Legion of Doom. Stick any one of those on there with Doomlance or without Doomlance, and it's good. <laughs> Okay, so let's get on to our breaking it down section. We're going to discuss in detail the uncommon blob from uh, the X-Men First Class. So tell us how to use them. Well, I mean, I feel the best way to use them is as a reactionary card. And obviously, he pairs up best with Collector. I mean, you have to hold two shields, but if you hold two shields, you really need to stop something on someone's turn. That's what he's going to do. Right. Uh, if you don't buy him, say say you don't have Collector yet, what's your timing with him in terms of, do you buy him right after you see the person buy the, the, the die you don't want to see? Or do you wait to see if they actually are lucky enough to get that die in the field? What's your thought on that? I will usually buy it sooner rather than waiting because i don't want to be caught in a situation where it's like you've got this out and uh oh i didn't even buy it yet right. it could be two it could be three turns till i see that blob mm-hmm. no i will i will err on the side of caution and get it sooner and sometimes and this happened to me definitely at worlds i'd be in a situation where i'd buy them just because that's the energy that i had and right. and it turns into a game of okay hey i just got this so uh what are you going to do now and <laughs> just right. to see how people react to it right if you get them earlier before say you got them and 
that just it doesn't line up right so your guy comes mm -hmm. out Bob comes out before their piece comes out you roll them for energy do you feel them and then try to get them off or you just not feel them what's your what's your thought i do that? not feel them first of all because when that happens to me it's usually the two cost one on its level three face and it's <laughs> using two energy for Ouch. nothing and i'll never get rid of him because he has eight defense yeah so if that's what happens then it's a it's a sad situation for me and i use it for energy what are the cards that I see across the table that wreck him his biggest downfall is something like a shriek. Right. Like if I capture something and you shriek my blob, right. you get your guy back. And now my blob is a giant guy in the field that I can't get rid of. Right. And I can't recapture with because he doesn't remember. Or so. even that, that bat girl that you had brought up earlier, an intimidator might. Oh yeah, that as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. An intimidate character. I didn't even think of that, but that's very obvious. Yeah. Intimidate character would be the same thing. Anything where you're disrupting, him for a little bit the parasite we were just talking about same thing Ooh, yeah yeah that, that would really wreck him now that i think about it because that thing's too cost it's that would be easy to do yeah parasite dupe yeah parasite's actually perfect right for the dupe's a good one too yeah. dumb dupe world uh, <laughs> i had a lot of frustrations in in drafts with that card so <laughs> were you playing against it or using it playing like, against it yeah mike plum used that card really well i believe it yeah master of uh, duping <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Guys, a master a lot of things, so uh, no. I, I certainly believe that. <laughs> no doubt. I remember seeing you guys playing at Worlds or at Nationals and Worlds in Columbus. Had yeah. You met before that, or was that the first time? Had you, had so, you... I actually met him in San Diego. Oh right. Uh, really? When I went a couple of years back, it was him and I in the finals of the WKO. Ah. Okay. His uh, his half elf barred my uh, beholder. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a match worth paying for. Yeah, I met him there, and then I saw him every time I've gone up to Salt Lake City for WKOs there. So yeah, no, we we'd seen and played each other a few times. Yeah. And then we saw we ran to each other at Worlds 2017. Yeah, that's great as yeah. well. Yeah, so. he's somebody you get better just by playing. You play him a few times, you'll get better, man. Absolutely. It's 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 nice to sit down with him and just kind of have conversations about, you know, thinking through a game. Yep. I, I definitely have gotten better because of that. So yep. Yep. if he's listening, thank you for for, for the help. <laughs> yeah, Mike. <laughs> I've appreciated playing with you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're still out there. <laughs> bat signal. Send us an email if you if you're out there. Send us an email. Let us know if you're still playing. The bat signal has been sent. <laughs> All right. So speaking of great players, let's move on to a section we call the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. So Alex, for our Hall of Fame section, we ask each guest to nominate one a retired or semi-retired Dice Master player for our imaginary Dice Masters Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. and at the end of the season, we count up all the nominations and we'll induct someone into the so-called hall okay so, if you could pick someone you think is worthy have at it i i i was having trouble with this actually because part of me i mean the the first person that came to mind was junior right because mm -hmm. he i think he stopped after nationals this year if i'm correct i think you're right which is really unfortunate because he's a good guy. He's a great player. And I, 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 I'd always heard good things about the community up there. So I think I want to throw in my vote for him. Right. Uh, can't go wrong with that. National champion. 
yeah. great player, incredible personality, ring player, extraordinary. Parallax. parallax master of parallax oh yes master of parallax yes <laughs> i do remember that so many things yeah tony tony always talked about him as being a savant and i think he's right so that's great a great nomination junior you have now been officially nominated for the hall of fame all right folks time to tee up this week's puzzle with a little dramatic flair As you might remember, we've decided to have the podcast and the website cross-promote each other when it comes to the puzzle. How's that for a little marketing savvy, Noel? It's Lorshin. Anyway, on the podcast, we're going to give you the dramatic outlines, the characters involved, and the tension that underlies the actual nuts and bolts challenge that's to be found in the puzzle itself. And at the website, you can find the actual practical puzzle. The podcast is going to have the setup for this week's puzzle, followed by the solution to last episode's puzzle. If you want to find the actual nuts and bolts of this current episode's puzzle, visit us at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash puzzle. So, on to the drama I would like to introduce to you, our very special guest puzzle master, Mr. Ben Said Scott! Woo! (laughs) Um, Okay, should I just launch into my thing? Launch in. <clears throat> ah, there you are, Professor Xavier says to you as he wheels into the landing pad. Ready to get this wild weekend started? Suddenly, you're whisked to a strange planet, landing awkwardly. Could have given us a warning there as Guardian. Daredevil says he shakes himself loose. We all don't see as well as you do. Heimdall smiles and points to the table. Come, let us have some cake. The four of you sit, Daredevil placing his trusty billy club by your side. When... Out of the shadows, those cowardly space marines strike, grabbing Daredevil and running away. You scramble for help, but the local orcs don't seem to be of much use. There's only one chance. Quick, it's time to summon the Stomper! Use your brain like me and work out this puzzle at rollingthunder.xyz forward slash puzzle. No apostrophes, no G on rolling. Thank you, Ben, for teeing up that awesome puzzle. Go check it out at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash puzzle, and the first to send in their answer will have their solution read on the next episode. And speaking of solutions, warning spoilers ahead, because we're just about ready to read the solution to episode two's puzzle. Luke can take it away. So the winner of last week's puzzle contest was Craig Hubner from St. Louis, and here was his answer. Here is how I see your puzzle 2 working for me to do lethal damage to my opponent. Step 1. Wonder what trickery my opponent has up their sleeve that I am totally missing. Step 2. Use 2 mask energy for the under surveillance global to spin down their dwarf wizard die to level 1 making it stats 0 attack, 2 defense. Step 3. Use 1 shield energy for the arch nemesis global to make the dwarf wizard defense equal to his attack, which is 0. That knocks him out. Step 4. Use one fist energy for the loot cage global, doing one damage to each of us as players and knocking out each of our sidekicks. Step 5. Use one shield energy for the arch nemesis global to make the blob's defense equal to his attack, which is 2. Step 6. Use the arch nemesis action die to have my loot cage deal 3 damage to the blob die that has a 2 defense, and the blob die deals 2 attack to my loot cage that has 4 defense. The blob is knocked out. Step 7. I failed the Kate Bishop die for free, doing one damage to me so I have 18 life while my opponent has 19. Step 8. 
I spend one bolt energy to pay the feeling cost for Earth X Thor and knock out Sinestro due to lower life and I knock out Shriek for being a villain die. Step 9. I look at my opponent and say, pass you main phase priority. Step 10. My opponent says, I hate you. You know I have nothing in reserve to do anything. I chuckle. Step 11. Attack step. I declare attackers, a 16-14 Silver Surfer, a 4-4 Earth-X Thor, a 3-1 Kate Bishop, a 3-4 Luke Cage with 2 damage on him. Step 12. My opponent declares blockers and there is no one for them to block with. Step 13. I pass on using my last fist energy during the action and global stage. Step 14. My opponent now has priority for the global window, but they have no energy, so they say, if you really think you're so smart, why didn't you kill me three turns ago? <laughs> Step 15. We resolve damage and see that I overkilled my opponent by doing 26 damage while they only have 19 life. Did I get it right? Is that how the puzzle goes? Indeed it is, Craig. You have found the most massive way to kill your opponent. However, we decided to make this a hair more challenging when we threw up an extra restriction, and that was, how can you solve this puzzle and use all three of Earth-X Thor's abilities? And the participant who was first to get the answer for that was Mr. Michael Werner from Mike's Comics and Games in New Baltimore, Michigan. Here is Michael's solution. Step one, field Kate Bishop, take one damage. I'm down to 19 life while they're at 20, and KO a sidekick because of Luke Cage's ability. I now have three in the field while they have five. Step two, I pay one shield for Arch Nemesis Global on Blob. He's now a two defense thanks to Sinestro. Step 3, I use the Arch Nemesis action die to have Kate Bishop and Blob deal their respective attacks to one another, thus KOing them both. I now have 2 in the field, while the opponent has 4. Step 4, pay 2 masks for the under surveillance global to spin Dwarf Wizard down a level. Step 5, pay 1 shield for the Arch Nemesis global to give Dwarf Wizards 0A to his D and thereby KO him, thus releasing Thor from the shackles. Now I have 2 in the field and they have three. Step six, use the white tiger global to force them to field the sidekick. I now have two in the field, and they have four. Step seven, pay a bolt to field Thor and trigger all three of her abilities. Yeah. KO Sinestro, a villain. Shriek, level one, and one sidekick. They still have one sidekick left. Step eight, pay a fist to Luke Cage global, forcing both of us to take a damage. And as it is their first damage, Luke's ability KOs their remaining sidekick. I'm at 18 life, while they're at 19. Step 9. Swing through the empty field for 23 damage and win. And that's it for this week's episode. Slam gefall! Well, that's the end of Turn 5, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at rollinthunder.xyz, without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at arge or lucan at rollinthunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Weiner. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling, August Narlagagia the Lao. We'll be talking again in two weeks' time with another guest. So stay tuned. Enough said.
All right, you rollers of dice. Wait, wait, hold on. What was I saying again? 